Wires Filmmaker Toolkit podcast. I'm Chris O'Fall, the editor of the Toolkit. Today my guest is Mia Hansen Love, whose new film, Things to Come, uh, opened this week in New York. But before we talk to Mia, uh, IndieWire senior film critic David Ehrlich released today his top 25 video countdown, uh, which if you haven't seen David, Dave, you've been doing this for five years now? Yeah. Since I mean, 2011, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend you check out the, uh, the earlier iterations. Well, you know, I have to tell you, because um, my son was born in August of 2012. And that period of before he was born, of just watching incredibly shitty TV with my wife while she was pregnant, and then just the whole, like, four months of, you know, the first... I, I had never been so far removed from movies. Mm. Um, I also, I just had I, had, I wasn't working in movies anymore, I wasn't teaching movies anymore. And I just, I, in my whole entire life, I'd just never been so far removed from the industry and what was playing. And someone sent me your 2012 thing. And it instantly opened up this whole year of movies that I had never seen before. And not just the beautiful imagery, but like, the thing that I think about your videos is that you really, I mean, you love these things. And you're clearly like trying to get at like the essence of why you like them too, which instantly transfers into us liking them. It meant so much to me. I'll be honest with you, like I, I after that point, I was like, I need to get back involved in movies. And I actually took my first, <laughs> I took my first, I took my first uh, freelance job, which I'd been offered for like five, ten years, just to write, just to go to movies again. I mean, it was, it's very weird to share an office with you now, but <laughs> but I mean, this thing, these things have to have. I imagine these have taken on a life of their own, right? I mean, these things, it's. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really, I mean, I, I should preface all of this by saying that I, as gratifying as it is to hear experiences like the one you just shared, not that there are too many like that, um, that are that, are that gratifying, uh, it, it does feel silly to me uh, to think about them as intellectual exercises, to talk about them as anything approaching art, uh, and certainly to be, you know, one half of an episode of a podcast featuring Mia Hansen Love, <laughs> you know, um, I, I don't want anyone out there, out there to think that I am uh, insinuating that I am remotely worthy of being in the same breath. Uh, or the, that retro, even, retro, the MoMA right. retrospective is coming up. Exactly. That we're, we're even, you know, doing the same thing. Uh, I sort of see these videos as acts of um, curation and criticism. Um, and I, I don't know, I'd have to get drunk a little bit if I ever admitted to thinking that they were anything resembling art. But uh, I do, um, they did sort of take on a life of their own. I'm not sure what my, uh, headspace I must have been in to start doing them simply because the work involved, it's so uh, embarrassingly uh, gargantuan, the hours that are going to something like this. I don't know what must have possessed me when I didn't know how to use the software and really just beginning uh, to think that this was a substantial, like a, a decent use of my time. I'm sure I saw something entertaining in there. And, and I, and I think the reason that I continue to do them beyond the fact that they've definitely taken on a life of their own, um, for better or worse, is that uh, it's, it's the cathartic's not the right word, but it is, uh, I like keeping my hands busy um, and working in the film arena. And I have a difficulty sort of switching off and finding something to do between the hours of midnight and 2 a.m. for the, the fall season, um, just to, if only just to wind down at the end of the day. Uh, I, I, I would miss it if not for, I mean, like last year, I was like, oh, I'm not gonna do one of these, I don't know, my dad was really sick, and then I realized that because my dad was sick, I um, was more inclined to do it because I really enjoyed the sort of 
uh, solace that it gave me. And then this year with the election and everything, I was uh, uh, that much more inclined to disappear into the recesses of Final Cut for a few hours. So, well, One of the things is the songs play such a huge role in, in what you're doing. I, I want, the rule is, is that the song has to be something that was in a, a movie for the year. The rule. The rule that I decided for myself was, yeah. yes. But, and so, because what, what's interesting is, is that, like, you know, just for example, the use of the meatloaf song uh, in this one, you know, I think she sings it in Love Witch, but then... She's not saying anything close to those words. She's not. It's just like when you say, like, watermelon, watermelon, uh, you know, like, okay. like it, But yeah. either way, though, it then becomes, that song becomes a completely different meaning for The Lobster, mm -hmm. and then becomes a whole different meaning for La La Land. And there's something like all of a sudden these groups of films that are kind of completely unrelated suddenly take on these themes and really kind of use the song in different ways. What I'm wondering is though, I, and I imagine the song becomes, well beyond the top 25 list itself, those become like the structuring devices, right? Do you have like a list of songs and then you're experimenting with them? <laughs> uh, yeah, over the course of the year I'll, I'll, I'll take note of what songs are used in what films. and I. I think of using the songs, uh, and again, this sounds terribly self-important in regards to what it is that I'm making, but in the same way as like the obstructions from that Lars von Trier, Jorgen Leith film, The Five Obstructions, it would be too easy to make one of these things if you just picked whatever songs you wanted, um, I think. And it also just makes it more meaningful and, and sort of cohesive in the span of a year to pick songs from the movies of that year. Well, I mean, um, that's, what, that's what most people, I think, do, though, is it's some kind of like super cut set to some like cool song, and then they just do yeah. it. Like, you're, you're going for something Yeah, different. and sometimes, you know, one of the, I, I regret that there isn't as much of it this year, but like last year, for example, I was able to use the uh, last scene from the Christian Petzl yeah. film, Phoenix, uh, and that was a really sort of holistic way of, of bringing it in and making it really focused to the films of that year and having the various films speak to one another. It, you don't always get an opportunity like that, and I have to sort of, I, I'm uh, at the behest of my own taste, which can be difficult at times, because there are sometimes maybe movies that would be really easy to, to work with that I just didn't enjoy, and because my, my opinions are, uh, um, you know, it's my job to share them. People know what they are if they care, and uh, so I can't really fudge that, nor would I want to. Um, but yeah, the songs are far and away I think a lot of this, uh, and I say this to anyone who asks me about it, is, is largely brainless. Uh, the, the only part that, and I know it's not any sort of intellectual rigor, but the only part that really ties my head into knots and is frustrating and is just finding the songs. And how to group uh, them. How to group them, how to uh, align them. Like all of the songs that are in there, uh, there are guts sort of ripped out of them. And, you know, I, I am not an expert editor. I don't have really any formal training in doing this. And so, I'm sure that there are uh, many capable professionals who would be able to bridge the pieces of these songs, the all 73 parts of I would do anything for love into a really fluid whole, uh, but I am not one of them. And so it's really difficult for me to really massage it and get it to that point where it flows well enough. Um, yeah. And is the list religion? Is a, is a, do you go into, is, is the 25, I mean, I don't do what you do, but like right now I have, I have to put together a top 10 by the end of the week. And like, honestly, it's like the difference between seven and eight is just- Yeah, it's no, like, it's totally, uh, it's totally arbitrary. And people, I mean, it's not, you know, within a certain reason. I think that, uh, you know, the, the, and it gets more arbitrary as you go along. Mm -hmm. um, I, yeah, would I say that Moonlight, which is number one on my list, is the best film of the year unequivocally. 
Um, but as you get to the 17, 18, I'm happy to jostle things around for the sake of the flow of the video. And okay, so you will. You, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, you know, I was so gratified to hear what you said, um, not only because now I get to, to work with you, and I'm happy to hopefully if um, you don't regret going back into film, but also mm -hmm. the real the purpose of the video, and particularly as film seems to become a more niche art form and uh, more coastal, and there are so many great films that so many markets aren't getting, Really, the purpose of the film is not to shove my, you know, religious rankings down people's throat. Not to say David Ehrlich says that this is the number three film of the year, this is the number seven. It's, it's you know, the hope is that someone who may not have seen or heard of Tony Erdman or The Love Witch or uh, Always Shine or you know, Swiss Army Man, which to us is a very popular film, right. but when you look at the box office, is still um, a huge question mark for most moviegoers. Um, to shine a light on those films and uh, and want to seek them out and so like that that really ultimately is far more important than my own taste. And then the other thing is I know it's important this week is that we kind of want to be one of the first people to get yeah. out a top ten list um, and you do go to all the festivals and you get you're one of the first people we hear from on, on most of these films but what about like that like I know last week was a stress with silence. Like what yeah. about that? Like I can't make a top 10 list without seeing the new Scorsese right. epic. And then like, what the fuck is that gonna do for me if I like suddenly think well, this is gonna be the, the number the two media on my list? every year. I mean, but the, uh, any film, and there are exceptions to this. I mean, I, as somebody who loved Gareth Edwards' Godzilla, right. I have, uh, and doesn't really care about Star Wars, I do have unreasonably high hopes for the new Star Wars really? film. I hope it's entertaining. Um, but really, realistically, all the studios are bending over backwards to make sure that all the films that are coming out in a given year are screened by the time the critics groups vote, right. um, usually at the tail end of November, the very beginning of December. Um, and so as long as I do everything in my power to see those films, Silence was the big one this year, last year it was Django, not Django, uh, The Hateful Eight. Um, there's always that one film that is a major film by a major filmmaker that's coming out around Christmas and there's a scant few screenings in time to the deadlines and yeah, it's always stressful to fit them in. But Am I going to lose a second of sleep for not seeing Passengers before I make this list? No. Was uh, George Michael in there before you saw Silence last week? Yes. That uh, must have been a gift. George, yes. George, George Michael was, uh, was in there. I, you know, I, I worry. I showed a video to my fiance. She's always the first person who sees them. And she, she uh, doesn't like anything that's too on the nose. Everybody's favorite cut last year was the bit with girls just want to have fun over Mad Max and that was her least favorite part and she's like rolled her eyes at the silence thing <laughs> this year uh, and the witch and all that stuff but um, I uh, I for I don't know what the connection was maybe the lyrics about bodies or whatnot but I had always seen that in connection to Swiss Army Man which right. is the song that the, the film that it, that song kicks in on and uh, yeah everything else just sort of I don't know. I hope it's not too on the nose. The joke doesn't get stale. Maybe next year I'll have to radically you know, try something else. Um, are you taking all stuff from footage from trailers? Yeah, the vast majority of it comes from uh, trailers. Fortunately, uh, studios have become a lot more uh, liberal in sharing other footage mm -hmm. online. I mean, there's for any of these films, you can find a ton of uh, clips you can find behind-the-scenes featurettes that have other footage that was not in. I mean, I, I troll every inch of YouTube and Vimeo and whatever that I can find. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I will take Blu-rays and 
I have needs to rip them and but so is, on. Is that stressful for you to do? Because I, I, I imagine if you have a film that you love and you do have access to the Blu-ray in the studio, it's like one of these smaller studios that we're doing business with all the time. And they're like, please use whatever you want. Yeah. Is that stressful to suddenly be like, I love this movie. It's a two hour movie and like I can have whatever I want. I mean, isn't it, is, is yeah, there like a limits almost like of like, I'd rather just use the three trailers that they have and their best images. That so for sure. Uh, and I, you know, I think like paring down thing, a film as visually resplendent as The Handmaiden right. um, was difficult. And oh, so you did have the whole thing for that. I didn't have the whole film, but even with what they made available, it helped. And it's like I had, like for Tony Erdman, I had almost nothing. Right. And I have that film on DVD, but I'm never... One thing I will not do is take like a studio screener. Right. Also, I won't use any DVD source footage because I've learned that you can tell when you blow these things up, compress them. Yeah. There's a huge difference even between 720p and 1080. So, so you're trying to use 1080 for pretty much I would never, day. yeah, those DVDs are all 480, right. 480p, so right. I never use those. Um, but yeah, Tony Erdman, I had to scrape and claw from like Danish trailers um, to get enough footage to carry over for 30 seconds that, and it's not a particularly visually exciting movie in its own right. And that can influence the rankings, like maybe if I, you know, I, I like Patterson a bit, 26, maybe it would have been 25, there was more that I could use, I, who knows. But uh, yeah, it's definitely, you're, it's difficult one way or the other. Um, sometimes the, the footage really lends itself to this sort of thing, and sometimes less so. Uh, and I don't want to talk too much about the films because people should watch it, but the decision to include Lemonade, I, I'm debating putting that in my list, I, yeah. I loved it. but. Um, is you see that as a movie? Well, the conversation of what is a movie is only going to become more nuanced yeah. and uh, and all over the map over the next few years. We've seen it a lot also with uh, the O.J. Simpson documentary Made in America. Um, and I, while not as relaxed about it as uh, or, or as aggressively blurring the lines, I guess, as someone like Jay Hoberman might, you know, who's put sports games on his top ten and. I'd certainly see the argument for saying that sports, not baseball, but which he did, but hockey, uh, could could qualify as cinema, absolutely. But I, I don't see the value, uh, at least for me at this point, of going that part of the lines. But lemonade, um, lemonade is something that, uh, regardless of the venue where it premiered, um, even though it did premiere on HBO, which I guess by their own standard is not television, uh, I I have always felt comfortable thinking of it as a film. And hey, OJ's on the list as well. Whenever I think it's sort of good for the game, you know, to have it in there, mm -hmm. um, then yeah. And it is so, I mean, you get at the essence of these films. You're not just doing these kind of super cut things and, and, the, and there's, you know, there's whole opening. It's in, it, you say you're not an editor, but I, to get things in sync, to get that rhythm, in particular if you're not a professional editor, I, the hours have to be insane. <laughs> I mean, you, what are you we don't what, want to know. What are we talking? I mean, I, I, I can't I, I can. it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's way too many, is whatever it is. Um, I wouldn't have a, an accurate uh, measure of how many hours it is, but it certainly far exceeds uh, the value of the final product. <laughs> um, but I, that's just sort of in my nature. I get really hung up. I, I'm a very mono-focused mm -hmm. individual. Um, it's difficult for me to focus on more things. I get obsessive about certain things, even when I recognize how sort of silly they might be. Um, and the more grandiose, the, the more I sort of uh, am compelled to labor over them. And so every year it seems to take longer. And every year the video grows 
longer and uh, at a certain point, and every year it gets more difficult. I mean, my job this year, I'm happy to have it, but it's very demanding on my time in a way that um, previous jobs haven't been. And so it's been more difficult to find the hours for it. Uh, but yeah, it's, well, eventually maybe I'll have a kid. Who knows? Like, there, there are going to be more and more obstacles as the years go on. And I think we may have to find some other solution. But uh, I, uh, it, it takes a long time. Newsflash, by the time you have a kid, it'll be the top five. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, the, um, and you're still using Final Cut Pro 7. I saw you tweet a picture and I was like, I love the fact that you're still on. You're yeah, still so on. The, the editor, it, you know, it doesn't strike me as odd because it's the only, when I was in film school, I, I started doing these videos originally to uh, become comfortable with editing software. I'm very so afraid of editing software. I still to this day am very afraid of editing software. You have to have, an, you have, to have something that you want to execute to learn software if you yeah. start just going through the process of, of tutorials and things like that. Yeah, and so I was like, and I was too lazy to go out and actually shoot something. So I was like, why don't I just throw a bunch of footage that is already lying around that other people made and begin playing around with that. And I'm still so afraid that by pressing the wrong button or moving the wrong thing right. or the wrong codec in particular, uh, that something is gonna get you know, terribly messed up in the oven. But uh, I am not interested in learning new software. Um, it it's, has served my purposes. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, every time I, I post a screen grab of Final Cut 7, there are editors coming out of the woodwork to be like, Final Cut 7? Like it's some, <laughs> you know, I've apostatized. I don't know what it, you know, it's like I, they've sent me, see me driving a Model T. Uh, I am completely ignorant as to what is different in Final Cut Pro 10 or Premiere or any of that other stuff. Honestly, because you're probably just um, I do transcoding all you, you, yeah. you turn everything to ProRes, so it doesn't matter. So yeah, it doesn't, doesn't uh, I don't even know what that. I do that. Yeah. I don't know what it means, but I do that. Uh, and I have, uh, you know, if I ever actually make a different kind of project, perhaps I will learn how to use more intensive uh, or more up-to-date software. But for these purposes, sure. Final Cut Pro Seven has been fine. A movie that's on your list is Things to Come uh, by the French filmmaker uh, Mia Hansen-Love, who we're about to hear my conversation that I had with her back in the New York Film Festival. Um, she strikes me as a filmmaker. Uh, I think she's I think she's like 35, but and this is her fifth or sixth feature. Um, it really I know you're a fan as well. It really strikes me with her that she's now with these last two films, Eden and this one, is just at that level where. I'm going to be settling into this woman's career for, for a long time so. and basically every film, like her films now are going to be like an event. Like I'm going to expect to see them at Cannes. I'm going to expect um, for this to, I mean it just really feels like, I mean not that the earlier films weren't, weren't good and didn't show a lot of potential but it just seems like at this point even as young as she is it really feels like she's there. Like yeah. She's like, she belongs in these conversations with the masters. I don't. I, I think that the it, the masters should be fighting to belong in the conversation with her at this point. I mean, I think, uh, um, which is not, she should certainly be considered among the ranks. I think that she is, uh, you know, pound for pound, one of the very, very best filmmakers on the planet right now. Uh, her, she has made five films. Each of them is excellent in their own way. Um, they all, that push deeper and resonate farther, even though I think personally Goodbye First Love uh, may be, her third film may still be my favorite, but I think they're all immense uh, in their own right. And uh, yeah, there's there's probably no filmmaker on the planet whose future work I'm more excited to see. Than wow, her. okay, so. well then you are, I, that's, 
Okay. Well, we can listen to me talk to her now. David, thank you so yeah, much. My and pleasure, uh, thank you. the video is everywhere, so, but we'll put it in the post as well. And uh, chances are, people, your fans will have already seen it <laughs> three times by the time they listen to this. <laughs> Just uh, specifically this new film, but all your films. I'm curious, what's the starting point for you? Like, with a, is it a story? Is it a character? Is it? I think for me, it's always a character, and it's always an emotion connected to a character. And it starts with uh, the desire or the need to portrait that person. It starts with a real person most of the time. Like someone in your life? Someone in my life, but then it's never about really filming that person. Otherwise, I would do a documentary or mm -hmm. I would take a picture. It's about reinventing, recreating the presence of that person through fiction, through a story, through movements, um, and uh, trying to grasp something essential, uh, something that's both uh, physical, that's mm -hmm. both exterior and interior at the same time, about that person within the body of somebody else, within an actor, within another story that can maybe look similar, but it's always mm -hmm. different actually. So for me, yes, it's really about that and I, I, I often compare that with uh, the, the way painters uh, work, even though I don't have any gift in painting, I, 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 I feel it's the same kind of process. And uh, so the, the story really comes afterwards. And is this something where you spend some time with it before you actually start writing? Is this, or is, or is it kind of a more instinctive thing than that? I spend some time uh, uh, thinking of it, dreaming of it. I mean dreaming, you know, just like, what I mean is that I, I spend some time thinking of it without even writing. Mm -hmm. And then I write little notes on the side. And then, but after, sometimes it can take a few months. And then I start to look at it in a way where I, I, sh I start to uh, build up a story. Uh, and then I can spend some time on the archite architecture, if I can. Say. Well, that was one of the reasons I was asking. I'm so curious, is because um, is that you seem to, and this is just my interpretation. Um, there isn't in a, in a you know in a traditional screenplay this sense of like building up a, a conflict and and really playing up a drama and kind of arcing it that way. Um, your films seem to, I mean the characters all experience a loss and then it seems to be this kind of reaching um, to get out of that loss but it's not structured in a, a kind of traditional way where you're really like playing up conflict. Is that, does that make sense? It does but I think uh, I wonder how much of that comes from uh, my relationship to life and the way I just observe the world and try to um, stay faithful to that mm -hmm. and how much of that also comes from the simple fact that I wasn't 
uh, doing any film school and that I was never told how I should write a story, that mm -hmm. I never wrote, uh, that I never read any single book about, you know, script writing. So basically, I don't know how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so because I don't know how to do it, I had to fa do it my way, and I tried to to be as honest as I could. And f to me, being honest meant to write stories in a way that they truly express your own experience of life, mm -hmm. uh, uh, which doesn't mean that you're not concerned with issues that like the rhythm and, you know, entertaining somehow, and, but you can have your own ideas about that, even right. though they are always influenced by other people's ideas, but still it's a different way of learning. So I think in, my, in the way I write script, I, I can say, I, I, I think I, I really am an, uh, how you say, autodidact. Mm -hmm. Uh, sorry, exactly. autodidact. Yeah, autodidact. Uh, so I think, yeah, I think it's part of the reason. And how much? I mean, I don't know your biography, but I do know that when you were younger, you were an actress. Um, how much of kind of? I don't know if that's your early experience with film, but you were talking about not going to film school. How much of it is influenced in the fact that, like, when you first started doing movies, you were coming at it from a an actress character standpoint? Um. I never felt like I was an actress. I felt, I feel like, I think I was just lucky enough that when I was 16, mm -hmm. I was picked up uh, to play in a film. F uh, f uh, whoa, <laughs> sorry. Don't know what that, that was. Yeah, no, that <laughs> was just somebody, but uh, okay. for a minute I thought it was like an animal. So did I. You too? Yeah, yeah. I thought it was a mouse. Me, me too. But it's just somebody. Uh, so when I was 16, I was I was in a theater. Uh, uh, how do you say it? A cor course, uh, theater a class, like a theater, a theater class. class yeah. Thank you. Uh, in high school, and they would and they did a casting there, mm -hmm. looking up for young people to play in a film of Olivia Sayas, and I, I was lucky that I was taking the film. But it's not like a decision that I took to mm -hmm. become an actress. And after that, I didn't do anything more, just, I, yeah, I, I shot a few more days in another of Olivier's film and that was it. And, and, and I, I went to a theater school like uh, during a couple of months, one year and a half actually later. But I mean, I never really intended to become an actress or thought, ser seriously thought that I, because I was, I was very shy and I wasn't really at ease in front of the camera and strangely, Strangely enough, but I guess that has to do with what a vocation is. As soon as I got on the other side of the camera, I felt totally at ease. Uh, and I realized that, it be I became aware of that uh, when I was on stage in that theater school. And I really had difficulties like to keep on. At first when I arrived, it was okay. And strangely, like the more it went, the more shy I became or uncomfortable I felt and I didn't like to hear the teachers commenting on the way I would move and what I would do with my body. I felt that like an aggression, actually. So I, I, I was enjoying more being uh, sitting and watching the other actors. And progressively, I realized that I had much more pleasure watching them than uh, playing myself. And I had like issues with my body or something like that. So I, I think I, I did learn a lot from, from watching uh, uh, from from being on stage, from I mean in the, in the theater school, from uh, uh, you know 
feeling when you're when you when you act you you feel sometimes what is right what is not right in terms of lines like and I think in that perspective, it helped me a lot because I, I think I would never ask an actor to say something that he wouldn't feel comfortable with somehow. I think I, I totally trust actors who, like, when they say to me, like, they have a problem with the line, I think they're right, and there's the, 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 I think the problem usually comes from the line, and it means it can s be told in a better way. So, yeah, I'm not saying... So adjust I, to them versus yeah. trying to get them to yeah. adjust. I think if you if you try very hard to get an actor to adjust to a line most of the time, well, you can have him say it, but it won't be right. I think you, most of the time, uh, actors are right about what's, you know, what's natural or not natural. So I, I, I learned from that experience, but I mean, but yeah, that was it. I mean, I, 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 I don't feel like I was, I'm, I don't feel, I, I don't think I'm an actress who turned out to be a filmmaker. I mean, I've, I've done, five films as a filmmaker mm -hmm. I've been uh, so I've spent more than um, like months and months on sets as a filmmaker and as a, an actress I actually spent like 10 days so <laughs> <laughs> it's like a myth that everybody's been telling me since 10 since 10 years like I keep on making films I don't know if it's because a if it's because I am a woman you know mm -hmm. and uh, still a kind of young woman mm -hmm. but it's at some point it could become annoying that you make so many films and people keep on looking at, Louis, like, at you like you are an actress who turn, on, turn out to be a filmmaker, right. you know what I mean? Well, I, the thing is, is that really, in, in, in what I was trying to figure out is also just because your way of telling uh, stories is so refreshing and so unique, and there is that no, that um, lack of film school and that lack of that traditional way that is told, so I, it's more trying to figure out what was the... You know, no, I'm not, uh, don't yeah. worry, I'm yeah. not saying I'm upset, <laughs> okay, but I'm just trying to make it clear like how it is in reality. Yeah, like. right. um, what was the starting point for this new one, Things to Come? What, what was kind of the entry point for this story? I think it was uh, the idea of a woman in her 50s who being left alone by her mm -hmm. husband who leaves her for another woman mm -hmm. that was the first thing and that was the idea of uh, how the question of how that this woman would going well, was going to overcome this if she was going to overcome it mm -hmm. uh, how she whoa sorry how she would uh, move on and, and uh, where she would find a new meaning in her life and I wasn't so sure at first that this woman was going to be a philosophy teacher mm -hmm. uh, because I was the, the, the autobiographical aspect of that kind of uh, scared me at first. So I think... In the sense, if, I'm, if I realize, both your parents were our philosophy Yes, both philosophy of them uh, have been philosophy teacher their whole life. So of course, at some point in the beginning, I asked myself, should 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 I make them something else? Should it these characters, so that people don't <laughs> tell me again this is another biographical film? Should I, you know, should I find another job and kind mm -hmm. of tr transpose it, uh, tra change it more? Mm -hmm. And so I started figuring out like what kind of jobs I could do. And then while I was doing this, I realized that it didn't make sense because 
actually the teaching and the philosophy were so much in the center of the char yeah. whatever the characters are, I couldn't disconnect the presence of, the I couldn't disconnect these figures, both the woman and the man from their job. And just like, like for me, for instance, being a filmmaker is not like something acci accidental. It's just not a job. It's like at the very heart Part of my of life. Yeah, it's yeah. so much connected. And just like, just as for me, uh, for that character, philosophy, teaching are like just what she, defining for what she is. So once I realized that, uh, it, it became clear for me that she, it was going to be a film about a, not only about a woman who, who breaks up, but uh, about a philosophy teacher. Mm -hmm. And when you start something like this, you, you, you ask yourself that question. You've got that premise. You've got the, the husband leaving, and is she going to be able to kind of end, you know, what's she going to do with that uh, next phase? Um, is that something that you just start as a question and ask yourself and move forward with? Or is it, do you have a sense of where you want to go with that? Because your movie, it ends in this wonderful, I don't want to ruin the end of the movie, but I, I, what I'm really getting at is, is that, do you know where you I want know. that to end up? Because the ending is so I beautiful. Know. Thank you, I know what you mean. Uh, generally, yes, I know where I want it to end up. But not in the sense that, uh, not in a dramatic sense. Not, not that I know uh, if she, what exactly is going to happen, you know, mm. like uh, how I will build up some dramatic tension or things like that. But I just have a feeling of the mood of the ending of the film. And sometimes it's an image, sometimes it's a scene. Mm -hmm. And and it's not necessarily anything dramatic in there, or it's or it's not like it's resolving the story, like giving you know answers to the big questions. It just gives me a, some kind of direction. But it's funny that you ask me that because there is actually a film that I had in mind a lot when I was uh, uh, writing this one. Not that this film has maybe anything to do with mine, but it's just because of the well, it's because of something in the film and also the title and it's the film of Michael Powell called uh, I Know Where I'm Going mm. and I felt very connected to that because the Michael Powell film is also about it's about a woman who wants to marry a man and she goes to this place she has to take a boat and 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 to get uh, to an island where this man that who she actually doesn't know lives and she never gets there because there is a fog and she ends up being stuck in a house by the sea where there is another man and, and she will end up staying with that man. So it's about this woman who really knows where she, she think, who thinks she knows where she's going, but uh, who gets lost mm -hmm. and who finds herself actually better, well, she, uh, who really finds out who she is thanks to the fact that she gets lost. And there is something like that in my film. What I mean is that it's about a character who seems very self-confident, who, who seems like she knows exactly where she, where she's going when mm. the film starts, like she seems so, she has authority, her life seems so well, you know, balanced between kids and husband, and she loses everything, and so you'd think she'd be totally lost, and she's lost at some point, and there is pain, and there is loneliness, but it's still about how once she uh, confronts that void, and, and uh, she actually finds something even more essential about life mm -hmm. and maybe becomes even stronger somehow. 
Um, so the ambivalence of that title, I know where I'm going. <laughs> the fact that it's about that it's of course true and not true, I think reflects quite well uh, the mood of my film with that character who spends her, uh, many lines saying things that are both true and not true. Mm -hmm. Just just as when she says, you know, when she speaks about her the importance of her or of her intellectual life and. Fabien says to her, like, uh, ask her if she wants to meet somebody again or something like that. And she says, oh, I don't care, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fulfilled with my intellectual life. And I think it's both totally true and sincere. I really say something about her inner strength, mm -hmm. but it's also totally not true, you know. And I think that ambivalence is really much in the heart of the film. And a cast obviously always matters, but in this case, uh, with your lead, uh, she brings so much... It, it, sometimes it's hard to imagine the movie without when she's the star. It's hard to imagine yes. what that. And I know this this story probably existed in your mind. Uh, you had said last night that she was someone that you had had in mind to do the role. It's the first time uh, that I had somebody in mind uh, mm -hmm. from the start. So it was pretty different from whatever collaborations I had been experiencing before. Uh, it's both. I mean, yes, I know. <laughs> it's just like the, where I'm going. <laughs> yes, I know what I'm going to do. I'm, I know what I'm looking for. I know why I pick her up. Mm -hmm. I, I know what I want her to be in the film and why it's so obvious that she's, for me, she's Natalie from the start. It's like I can't imagine anybody else. So I expect a lot from that collaboration and I know uh, what I, I want to get from her. But at the same time, what ultimately gives the meaning to the film is the present of the shooting and at some point there's always something uh, that happens that you didn't really expect uh, and that gives the meaning that that becomes more important than anything and that's why I enjoy about making films if you knew everything in advance if you knew exactly like what the actor is going to give you and how it's going to be like like in the most scientific way that would be so boring and and fortunately it's not like that and I mean of course I knew how great she was and would be in the film and not, I cannot say I was surprised that she was so good but then there's something about the way she embodied uh, the character and something about what she gave to her that ultimately uh, yeah uh, gave the identity to the film at the end mm -hmm. and um, especially the joy I mean I think she's really the one who made the film becoming more joyful, more lively, more funny somehow than what I thought it would be. I, I hope that that could happen, but it's not like something I planned really. Like the, for instance, the moments where the characters, um, uh, where the people laugh in, in the theater, I never planned that to happen. And I think it's really thanks to the kind of irony and energy she gave to the character. You've already got a, 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 an insane, solid body of work at this point, um, this early in your career. I mean, these films are, they're all from the start have been very good. And I'm wondering, looking forward, is there, when you look in terms of your next film or you think about your career, do you think, is there like a filmmaker that you model, like I'd like to have that career? And not necessarily the type of films he or she might make, but yeah. the sense of, and, and, and also this idea of 
you know, the size of the film? Is there, is there like a dream? Is there like, is there... Is yeah, there I can tell you, but it will sound so pretentious <laughs> and ridiculous, but I, sh I think I should tell you anyway, Ingvar Bergman. Like, I'm obsessed with Ingvar Bergman. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm so much upset that I even, I'm even writing a film right now that takes place uh, in Foreux, which is the island where I used to live. Not that I think I have any chance to, at any point, uh, build up a career that would look like uh, his, and it wouldn't make sense. And, but I like the idea to have as a model somebody who is like, anyway, so different from me. He's a man, he's done like 60 films, had nine women, I mean nine kids, five women, like his life has been so crazy. He was into theater even before, even more than into films. He's, he's like, but I love the fact that it was, I mean, I love the films, I love the themes of the film, I love his relationship to the actors, and I love the fact that he was, constantly creating, like his whole life has been cr creation and that's what uh, impresses me uh, the most about that. And your next movie is going to be on that island? The uh, th it's not going to be the next one, the but the one after. The next one is going to be in India and it's called Maya. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Thank you uh, very much. Charlie, the movie comes out December 2nd. December 2nd. Yes. So thank we'll you very much. It.